0: Welcome to the USA Today Fantasy Sports Podcast, our weekly look at the world of fantasy sports. I'm Steve Gardner, and my special guest this week is the author of the best-selling fantasy black book and radio host on the Fantasy Sports Network, the one and only Joe Pisapia. And uh, we'll take a look at the fantasy matchups for Week 5, a rash of injuries throughout the NFL, and much, much more. But first, Joe, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast this week.
1: No, I'm happy to be here. I'm excited that you asked me on, and like I said, you know, you said you thank me for being on as a guest. I am so many in the hole to you over the last seven years (laughs) of you coming on my shows in various places, so... That anything I can do to help, I'm happy to be here. Let's talk about on week five.
0: Ah, sounds good. And uh, most of the time, if I'm on the uh, the receiving end of the questions, I-, I can turn the tables a little bit on you. And uh, first of all, Joe, it's it's week five. We get the buys into effect now um, when you combine those with injuries. Some teams may be on the fence at uh, at two and two or or gasp, you know, one and three at this point. Are you panicking? If you're a fantasy owner and your record is is at that one in three mark and you've got buys to contend with, when do you start saying, "Uh-oh, I got to really start turning things around"?
1: Well, I'm of the mind that you should hit the panic button once you get into October. If you're, you know, in that kind of scenario where you have one win or you're winless, it's it's a bad scene and it stinks when you're, you know, a team that goes into the season with a David Johnson or you did a great job and you got Dalvin Cook and maybe you were you know at least even or or wherever you are here in the season and now you lose a guy like cook for the year too it's very difficult to bounce back from that in season long that's why i've kind of scaled back my season long leagues into more daily over the last two years because of that injury quotient factor to me it's you know it's no fun to put all that work in and end up looking up at your roster and doing everything right and then have injuries just obliterate your team and you're not going to be able to replace david johnson or dalvin cook or these guys you lose for the year it's it's you know, you could do your best to try to patch it together with these guys who come up on the waiver wire, but these guys are secondary players for a reason, and it's very rare that you get a player that pops like C.J. Anderson a couple years ago and ends up as an RB1. It's not something that typically happens, so I think it's not too soon to panic now. If you have a bad record, you've had some big injuries, because you can't rely on what your team's going to look like five weeks from now. you got to play for right now. The playoffs are not a given.
0: Let me ask you, do you think that playing daily fantasy – helps you as a season-long fantasy owner, or are they separate enough that it doesn't really correlate one to the other?
1: Well, I'll tell you what. It helps you a little bit in the sense of if you're a a daily player, it helps you set your lineups accordingly. So it helps you kind of analyze your bench a little bit and maybe work those last couple of spots and flex and things like that. In in the flip side, I think if you're a good season-long player, then you know, you should be a good cash game player because you should recognize the things that you know that are rode every week. You know, you know the difference between a playmaker type guy like a Blal Powell who may or may not go off and he's more of a tournament kind of play guy as opposed to, you know, a Jordy Nelson who's a guy that you know you can count on every week and build a lineup. And I've been trying actually all this offseason in the new Black Book Uh, This past year, I was trying to drive home the idea in season-long leagues, trying to build cash game-style lineups, that you shouldn't look for the Amari Coopers of the world. You should pass on those kind of guys for the Stefan Diggs of the world. And it's funny, so far that's kind of bared out pretty true, but that's because I can count on volume. You know, we can always hope that players will develop more consistency over time, but the trouble is, Steve, that until they do it, it hasn't been done. So give me the guys where the volume's go, and Give me the guys I can count on every week. And if you're playing cash game, basic style rosters in a week-in, week-out basis in your season long, typically you're going to be better than more than half your league.
0: Yep, and that's the, uh, that's the goal, at least in, in those types of games. One of the guys that you're talking about, uh, uh, as consistent as they come, is Aaron Rodgers. But this week... The Packers are going to be down maybe as many as two starters with Ty Montgomery dealing with broken ribs and trying to play. Devontae Adams coming off the concussion protocol. If you're an owner of either one of those guys, how uh, wary are you of starting them, especially considering that they're uh, you know, in that late afternoon game where you don't have all the options if they don't play?
1: Well, Montgomery, I wouldn't start at all. And I think if it's going to be messy between Williams and Jones, and I I just want to stay away from it altogether, I think that's where I'm going in terms of the wide receivers over there. And then you got Devontae Adams, who was threatening to play this week too. I know everybody's on Rodgers because of the whole Cowboys defense thing, and they should be. It makes sense on paper. But if there's one thing we've learned from 2017 so far, everything that makes sense on paper, you can pretty much expect the opposite. And the guy that shows up in big games is Dak Prescott time and time again. So I would not be shocked if he had a very good game. He's been very quietly productive, especially on the daily fantasy side as well. And, you know, Des Bryant hasn't really had a breakout game yet. I could see kind of a reverse where maybe if you want to go Rodgers and Jordy Nelson in cash games because you can rely on that. Maybe on the flip side, you want to go Dak Prescott and Des Bryant and that kind of a pairing in terms of tournaments. And in season long, I would definitely stay away from all the Green Bay running backs until there's more clarity.
0: Yeah, it just seems like, especially, again, we talk about the injuries plus the bye weeks, just uh, really throws everything out of whack. And and now we've got injuries to quarterbacks Derek Carr, Marcus Mariota, also uh, iffy for this week. You're going to be, if you're, uh, you know, if you have guys on the Raiders or the Titans – looking for EJ Manuel and probably Matt Castle to try and deliver the ball boy I don't know how much further the Raiders wide receivers can be downgraded but uh what do you what do you think um on on that side and and possibly Titans receivers as well including uh, Delaney Walker who's you know one of the top tight ends
1: well I think you have to wait a little bit longer you might need after told Friday's practices to know exactly where you stand with Mariota but you know I would say right now with the EJ Manuel situation in Oakland crabtree being banged up. I mean, if he's playing, I would probably start him just because crabtree has been so good this year, but you have to take that. And it has to be a desperation. Like you've got nobody left or you got buys, yeah. which makes a real issue where you have to play crabtree. Cooper to me is an absolute bench. Cooper so far this year is 18th in targets for wide receivers. That's pretty darn good. But in terms of productivity, he's 75th on the year. So when you're talking about that, that, <laughs> that yeah. gap, between volume and productivity, the guy's just not catching the ball. He's not consistent. He hasn't been consistent in his career yet. Give me six straight good weeks out of Amari Cooper, and then I'll be a believer. But until then, you sit him, and I, I expect a lot of low scoring in this one just generally.
0: Yeah, D- is Amari Cooper maybe one of the most disappointing fantasy players in in the entire league? For this season? I mean, Brandon Cooks was probably drafted right around the same time and hasn't really but had but one breakout game for the, uh, for the Patriots. I can't think of a more disappointing fantasy player than Amari Cooper's been this year.
1: Well, I would expect Cooks to be involved tonight against that banged up secondary in Tampa, but you're right. I think depending on where you stood on the Cooper uh, <laughs> on the podium, right. I could say this: you know, for those of you who are believers, I think he's a huge disappointment because of where his ADP was. But and that that's the whole thing. It goes back to consistency. Whereas, you know, if you can get guys a little bit cheaper, if you can get Crabtree a little bit later than Amari Cooper, then why wouldn't you do that? Because now, if he wasn't productive with Carr, what makes you think with EJ Manuel of right. all people it's going to be productive?
0: Right. Exactly. You know, it, this reminds me of something, and it's been a pet peeve of mine. And I'd like to know where you come down. Uh, On this issue, a lot of people that I've noticed when they're doing their drafts in season long, 12 team, 10 team leagues, don't draft a backup quarterback because they say, well, there'll be plenty of them on the on the waiver wire to pick up. And there's not really that much difference in production week to week from any quarterback, you know, except for maybe the very top of the scale. I think this week is the perfect example of why you have to draft a backup quarterback because you get injuries, you get bye weeks, and now if you don't have a quarterback and you're looking to pick up a guy to start this week because you have Derek Carr or Marcus Mariota and they're not going to play, all of the, the pickings are so slim. I mean, you're going to have to pick up somebody like a, a Mitchell Trubisky or an EJ Manuel or somebody like that. And if your quarterback is out for more than a week or two, you're going to be stuck with that guy, and and trying to play the matchups. Maybe if you can get another guy off the waiver wire, I just I don't see why in the world people don't draft a backup quarterback on draft day. Now, if you have a a conflict or a, a contra opinion, please let me know what the what that uh, <laughs> argument is.
1: Well, I understand the concept, which is you know once you go and and I'm relative position value guy, so once you go below the elite three anyway you're kind of all playing with guys who are basically in that fantasy league average group. They're all anywhere between a slight positive and single percentage points to a slight negative. And it's kind of any given Sunday, week to week, depending upon the matchups. But I think what you've seen this year, what's exasperated, why your theory right now might be the better one to go off, is because of where quarterback play has been so far. The elite have per- right. pretty much been the elite still, for the most part. But you've had Roethlisberger start off with a lot of road games, which you had to realize was on there, and he's atrocious on the road the last three years. We're talking about a quarterback rating that's got you know 30-point difference between it. It's not even close. We're talking about twice as many touchdowns in the last three years at home as on the road and more interceptions at Uh, on the road than at home. So he's been a dreadful quarterback. You've got the Cutler situation there in Miami. You've got the injuries you've already mentioned. Plus, you've got some rookies playing. Now, there have been guys like Watson and Goff who have kind of come on who were probably added or decent enough, or guys like Wentz who maybe went undrafted. So there have been some guys where you could have gotten by, but I think the problem is the mid-tier of Roethlisberger, of um, Cam Newton, guys that you thought were going to be good. The play has been sporadic, even Kirk Cousins too. So this is a year that you wish you had, and maybe going forward when we start looking at it, maybe it's something we should all take under advisement.
0: You're listening to the USA Today Fantasy Sports Podcast, part of the USA Today Podcast Network. You can find us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Stitcher, and Audioboom. And if you like what you hear, folks, please download us, like us, and rate us on all those platforms, and follow us on Twitter at USA Today Fantasy. My special guest today, Joe Pisapia of the Fantasy Black Book and the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Joe, I'd like to take uh, time now to look at some of the rankings and and how we have them on our site. And uh, maybe you can uh, comment on Guys, we may have too high, too low, or or some guys that uh, that stand out to you. But here's how we line up the quarterbacks for Week Five: Tom Brady, number one at Tampa Bay on uh, Thursday night. Aaron Rodgers, two. Talked about his consistency. Russell Wilson up at number three. Dak Prescott in that Green Bay game, number four. Jameis Winston, five. Followed by Alex Smith, Cam Newton, Philip Rivers, Carson Palmer, and Blake Bortles at number 10. Any of those uh, stand out as overly generous rankings to you?
1: Well, some of them I know are by default because of the bye weeks and the QBs that aren't around, plus some of the injuries. Which some of the quarterbacks not around either. The one that scares me the most in the top 10 of this grouping is honestly Cam Newton. And I know he looked really good last week, and, I, and that's partially because of just the awful communication of the secondary of the New England Patriots. I mean, they looked – the one thing you can always – Depend on the Patriots, is is that, you know, despite talent levels, they'll always communicate well, they'll always play smart football. They haven't been doing that, and my guess is they will show up and do that on Thursday night football. Now, my problem with Cam Newton is I think was he's going into Detroit, Detroit's not getting enough credit. If you've watched Detroit play football, they are a very tough football team. They're a little bit more well-rounded offensively and on the defensive side too. I don't think they're getting enough credit for what they're doing. They've played really tough in all these games. I expect this to be a lower-scoring affair. And to me, I think Cam Newton's the one guy that, after last week, where we all trying to get back on the bandwagon of Cam Newton, that it might turn right back around. He might just kick us right off it again.
0: Do you wonder if some of the controversy this week uh, with the the reporter, the beat reporter for the Charlotte Observer, you think any of that plays into Newton's performance? At all, or is that just something that he'll block out by game day?
1: I don't know if Cam Newton was a thinker, maybe, <laughs> but I don't know if Cam Newton's a thinker. Um, you know, and God, what, a, you know, I, I'm the father of two daughters, and if my daughters are prepared, I don't care what job they choose to do, if they are prepared and they know what they're doing, God forbid the man that disrespects them in, in a locker room scenario or in a public scenario or in a professional one because. You know, when these people are going out there doing their job, I just found it incredibly disrespectful. Like, this is not 1972 here. This is right. 2017. The fact that it, that could even go through his mind is staggering to me. But it tells you a lot about Cam Newton, which is a lot of the issues I had with him last year when you couldn't tell at a press conference if he was winning or losing because he was mopey and whiny afterwards no matter what. Things weren't going his way. Last year, any uh, two years ago, anytime any kind of adversity happened, whether it's a post-Super Bowl, whatever it is, you know, he is the kind of guy that still has gross emotional immaturity. And because of it, I think it's affecting him on the field because I think he's not the kind of guy that other guys are going to rally around. And that's what you need out of a quarterback. But your, to answer your question, no, I don't think it's going to bother him because I don't think he's a thinker.
0: Uh, but still, that uh, you made some good points, too, why we may not be able to depend on him the way that we did, say, a couple of years ago. One other uh, quarterback ranking, Deshaun Watson number 18 on our rankings this week, going up against Kansas City. But um, what have you you seen from him this season? And and do you think that he's a guy that can be an every-week starter unless it's in a really horrible matchup?
1: Well, I'll tell you what. If he does it this week, then, yeah, sign me up. He's an every-week starter Mm -hmm. after this one. Because I think the Chiefs are tough, even with Barry out. I think the Chiefs are tough. And I was one of the t- toughest critics on Watson because in college he turned the ball over a ton. And that's something you just can't do in the NFL. Just look at Deshaun Kaiser and the Cleveland Browns record if you don't believe me because right. that is absolutely what's going on there. Mm-hmm. You just can't turn over the football. You don't get those kind of chances back in the NFL. So looking at Walt Watson, the success so far has been he's been able to you know, not turn the ball over. He's been able to use his athleticism. And he's also been able to utilize the best weapon, which hasn't been utilized in over a year, And I see Andre Hopkins and the double-digit targets in three of his first four games has made fantasy owners kind of dance a jig. So I'm excited to see him play well in this one. If he does, that's great. But don't be shocked if now teams don't start game planning and throwing some more complicated stuff at him because I think as that happens – you could see Watson fade away as quickly as he rose up. So I think this is a really definitive game for him. Now, I think could take too much on any given week, on any given game, but this one in particular, if he plays well or if they should come out with a W here, that would be huge because then you're talking about a guy who blew out the Titans, who went into New England and competed, and then at home beat the Chiefs or was competitive with the Chiefs. That says a lot about Watson going forward.
0: Good points. Running backs, we have Le'Veon Bell number one, Todd Gurley two, no surprises there, Kareem Hunt three, Ezekiel Elegant four, LaShawn McCoy rounds out the top five, followed by DeMarco Murray, Melvin Gordon, Carlos Hyde, Leonard Fournette, and Bilal Powell. Um, Bill, you mentioned Bilal Powell earlier and um, just the fact that uh, you know, one of his, his big runs last week came on kind of a fluky play there where he wasn't tackled and wasn't touched and he went 70-some yards for a touchdown. But otherwise, it seems like now with Matt Forte out that Bilal Powell is getting kind of the workload that I think a lot of people expected when he was one of the favorite sleepers on draft day.
1: Well, I think any Bilal Powell owners would be happy to start a GoFundMe page to send Matt Forte <laughs> on a cruise somewhere and get him uh, off of this you know depth chart for quite some time. And you know what? Th- that's funny you mentioned that one fluky play, but part of the fluke of that play was the fluky athleticism of Powell. And when you have those guys who are playmakers like Tariq Hill, like Bilal Powell, you, know, you have to understand that's what they are. So, yeah, maybe 75 of a guy's 125 yards came on one play – but you have to realize that's a valuable thing to own players that are capable of that because they can bail you out where the rest of your team fails you on a week and all of a sudden they are able to explode. The problem is when you've drafted them or you put them in a lineup where you have to rely on their productivity. Their productivity should be a bonus. And I think this week it's a good matchup. Although keep in mind with Garrett back too on defense for the Browns, mm-hmm. that is a tough little front there. And the Browns have played tough. The, the problem with the Browns has been the turnovers at the quarterback position. You've got eight interceptions, and I'm going to keep pounding Deshaun Kaiser. but (laughs) when you've thrown eight picks in four weeks, there's just no way you can win football teams. It's what's killing Crowell's value. It's what's killing the defense, and the defense has played relatively well. So it wouldn't shock me if the Browns won this game, and it wouldn't shock me if Cody Kessler takes over the reins at some point because you just can't go forward with a guy right now who is this green just turning the ball over that much. But Powell, I feel pretty good about against Cleveland this week regardless. And I don't know about you, but I want that potential playmaker in my lineup as long as it doesn't break my lineup or I have to sit somebody really good for him.
0: Most definitely. And speaking of Crowell, too, uh, he was one of those guys that I thought would be fairly safe, not too exciting. You know, talking about the, the consistency. But yet, it seems like the Browns just have not run the ball, which is curious. You know, why would you take an inexperienced quarterback and make him throw so often? Yeah, they've been behind. But still, it would seem to me that Hugh Jackson would be a guy who would, you know, maybe run too much and and stick to the running game too late into a game. And that's certainly not been the case at all.
1: Well, they did it last year, which is why it's even right. more puzzling,
0: you know, and I owed shares a crow
1: everywhere last year because, he came so cheap, and I'm thinking to myself, well, look, this is a, a guy who's going to probably be, you know, around a lot, get a fair amount of value. I'll take this running back for next to nothing. And it really panned out well everywhere that I owned him. And coming to this year, I actually don't own any shares of him because all of a sudden people started respecting him more, right. and it just didn't happen. I had taken running backs ahead. I was more in that first year of running backs early and often but i think part of the thing you're missing with crowell is that red zone ability. so the game where he goes with 12 touches for 44 yards everybody wants to, you know, piss and moan about, but if you add in a touchdown to those games, all of a sudden he becomes a very viable high end rb2 again. and you're not getting the touchdowns because you're not getting the red zone opportunities because you're turning the ball over. so it's It's very cyclical in that fashion that, you know, because of the turnovers, you're taking away opportunities for scoring and you're taking away touches for Crowell because you end up falling behind eventually as game scripts continue to unfold and you get deeper into the third and fourth quarter.
0: Some of these are running backs that um, were on the waiver wire this week, I think, you know, Wayne Gallman was one. Um, whoever might, be, might have been dropped in Seattle, whether it's Thomas Rawls or Eddie Lacy, uh, the guys in Minnesota, Jarek McKinnon and Latavius Murray, any of those, uh, you know, even Wendell Smallwood, uh, who got an, a larger share of the, uh, the offensive touches last week, any of those guys stand out among the, among the group as guys you'd want maybe going forward this year? Well, Gallman sticks out, especially this week, because this is another one where it's a situation
1: by default. Wayne Gallman looked the best by far of any Giants running back so far this season last week in Tampa. Wayne Gallman is basically averaging double the amount of yards per touch as Paul Perkins. The other guys are all banged up. Dark wall, Perkins are banged up. Now, one would think, logic would dictate, yeah, you should go ahead and you should have Wayne Gallman in there and you should be giving him 18 carries this week, especially against the worst rush defense in the NFL, and the Chargers. Mm-hmm. And the Chargers, I think, have basically already packed up you know this whole thing with the move and nobody shows up for the home games. I think it's taken a lot of air out of the franchise. Losing last week, I think that was the that was kind of the last nail in the coffin for them. I think it's going to be a lost season for the Chargers, and I think them traveling this week into New York is going to be very difficult. So, for me, I'd like to see Gallman, but I'm kind of you know I don't know <laughs> hiding under a blanket somewhere because Ben McAdoo's play calling has been so idiotic sometimes that I'm not. <laughs> I don't think it's a given, although I think at this point it should be.
0: Yeah, it's hard to embrace the uh, anybody on the Giants' offense. Um, wide receivers for this week, Jordy Nelson, number one, Antonio Brown, two. Stephon Diggs gets the number three spot at Chicago. I think he's going to be a great pick for those in Daily Fantasy as well. Brandon Cooks, number four, maybe uh, another breakout week from him. Mike Evans rounds out the top five, followed by Dez Bryant, Larry Fitzgerald, Keenan Allen, T.Y. Hilton and Tyreek Hill. Uh, Joe, uh, any of those guys uh, stand out?
1: One guy that just missed the group is DeAndre Hopkins, which uh, when I mentioned the target volume he's had in three of the first four games being double digits. To me, he easily breaks this top ten. He probably goes even above Larry Fitzgerald because it's October, and once we get the harvest season, he turns into a pumpkin. I think <laughs> I've seen that the last
0: couple of years. Looking at the tight ends, Delaney Walker gets number one, Travis Kelsey two, Zach Ertz three, Jason Witten, four, and Rob Gronkowski is at number five. I've got I don't know. Tell me tell me if I'm I'm right or wrong here. I think our game against the the, the Chargers against the New York Giants is going to be a tight end fest. Because number one, the, the Giants don't cover tight ends. They're probably they're the worst in the NFL. And Evan Ingram is is getting some serious looks from Eli Manning. Um, I, I did say I didn't like the Giants' offense in total, but if I have to pick somebody, I think Evan Ingram is a guy that could jump up and, and have a huge game against the Chargers. Uh, any tight end thoughts in, in those top five or, or further down the list?
1: Well, I mean, you mentioned how the Giants can't guard a tight end. I mean, that's just wrote every week. Basically, I look for <laughs> who yeah. the Giants are playing, and that's my tight end this week. And, it, and it's funny, Steve, it never fails it never fails. So and this is going on three years now. <laughs> this is not like oh, a couple of weeks. This is years where they haven't had a linebacker core that could cover a tight end, and that makes Hunter Henry in play too. Uh, the one guy that's not on this list, and, and I understand, you know, my the other place I think is going to be a tight end fest as well is you know Charles Clay not on this list. I mean, Clay has been a huge part of the Buffalo Bills offense so far this year, yeah. and to me, it, the fact that he's not on this top ten, I kind of found shocking and I mean especially when Kyle Rudolph's done nothing um, I think you could put him top five right now and bump out probably Delaney Walker even from the top spot you know and, and switch Gronk that's kind of where my thinking is and the other guy I would put in there too is is very quietly who I think would crack the top 10 all you got to do is score a t- touchdown right. to be a, a tight end one and I think Tyler Croft also known as the other Tyler in Cincinnati mm-hmm. who plays tight end but if you're talking about Filling the role, I think he can be 80% of what Eifert was. And the way the offense is designed, Andy Dalton looks for the tight end in the red zone. And they're going to have red zone opportunities. And when they do, I think Croft is going to be the beneficiary. So there's no reason why I think Tyler Croft can't also be a sleeper this week as well.
0: Yeah, we saw that with Croft, two touchdown catches last week. I I think there's a bit of an injury issue with him, but it looks like he's going to be good to go. And uh, to address Charles Clay, yeah, in our rankings... He's at number 24 among the tight ends, which uh, is kind of head-scratching. I know the Bengals are, are pretty decent in covering tight ends, but, uh, yeah, Clay has been much, much better than that. All right, um, final chance to uh, throw some things out there. Joe, let us know what, uh, what things you're up to these days. Uh, you're, you're a very busy guy on the Fantasy Sports uh, <laughs> Radio Network. You're hosting shows left and right, doing some podcasts and things. Uh, where can people find you?
1: Well, it might be easier to where people can't find it. It might be an easier uh, trick to do, but you can hear me every Monday through Thursday on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network at drive time, 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern, uh, one of the co-hosts of On Target Fantasy. Uh, it's myself, Jake Seeley, and Chris Meaney. Then I also host the Fantasy Black Book Tuesday nights at 10, excuse me, 9 to 11 Eastern, Uh, I also host the Sunday morning Roto Experts pregame show on Sundays for NFL, 7 to 9 a.m. Then I also Sunday night do the Rewind show, 8 to 11 p.m. with my good buddy Dan Strafford, where we recap all the games. Then I also do the uh, Roto World DFS podcast on Mondays and Fridays, which is a hell of a good time if you're a DFS player or even if you're thinking about being one. I would give it a listen. It's a really solid podcast, and not because I'm hosting it, because we do some really great work on there, and the co-hosts there are terrific. And, uh, yeah, uh, that's, I think that's enough. I think I need a nap after all that myself. I think uh, I've tired myself out.
0: <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you need a, a stunt double or something to, uh, to help you out with all Can of Can I get things. one of
1: those? Yeah, and, and that's the irony, is for a living, then, my, my <laughs> real job is that I actually teach sword fighting and combat three, three times a week, which is kind of basically stunt work. So I've got to find somebody who sounds like me, that's the trick. Somebody who sounds like me and says stupid things, and then I can put them on the radio and take a couple of days off.
0: <laughs> Joe, we, we thank you so much for for taking. We thank you so much for taking some time out from all of those things that you do to uh, join us here <laughs> on the podcast. Really appreciate it.
1: Uh, always a pleasure, Mr. Gardner. and congratulations on your not one but two labor championships. Uh, astounding. you're a machine. We all just we're all just basking in your gloriousness. I'll tell you we're. We're all just trying wow. to play catch-up with you, my friend. Wow, I
0: know. We didn't even get to baseball today, which uh, which I love talking with you as well. Uh, Maybe another time. All I know is I love the one-game playoff. That's all I know. Beauty. <laughs> That'll do it for this edition of the USA Today Fantasy Sports Podcast. Once again, thanks to Joe Pisafia for joining me today. Be sure to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Steve A. Gardner. And, uh, Joe, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, at Joe Pizapia, 17. All right, so don't forget, we're posting new fantasy content every day at fantasy.usatoday.com, so check that out. For Joe Pizapia, this is Steve Gardner saying so long. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.